good afternoon and good evening, wherever and whenever you may be, and welcome to episode 36 of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Hannah Flint. I'm a Mormon woman. I'm Clarice Lockery. And this week, guys, it's the Eternals. No, it's not the Eternals. It's Eternals. Lose the the. It's cleaner that way. <laughs> Chloe Zhao makes her debut in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Oscar Isaac, he's counting cards. It's the card counter. <laughs> Kristen Stewart is clutching her pearls and then maybe eating them in Spencer. And then we have Red Notice. <laughs> Sorry, I could not do any more for that film. That's all it deserves. Um, and, and later on for our hot take, we're going to be talking about pop stars becoming actors. Do we like it? Are they good enough? Should they stay in their lane? Uh, we've got two movies uh, we're in this week, which both feature pop star cameos. Some more significant, some should just be forgotten. It's um, like pop stars are never stop, never stopping. Yeah, they really are never stop, never <laughs> stopping. Great and maybe <laughs> we should be reviewing that one. Maybe we should do a thing where we go review, rewind, <laughs> and go back <laughs> Anyway, let's catch up with the crew, guys. Amon Warman. Tell me about your night last night. <laughs> yes. Uh, so last night was pretty awesome. I did my first BAFTA on stage Q and A uh, with Jonathan Ooh. Majors for the Harder Day Fall. Cool. Um, your best was, friend. You know what I'm saying? He's a really, really cool dude. Like I, I, I call spoke... him Johnny. <laughs> my friend Johnny. <laughs> Johnny, yeah, what's up, Daya? No. Um, it was really, really cool. Uh, I hope you did that on stage. <laughs> What's up, Leia? <laughs> Yo, glad to see you here. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really fun. And we had some black uh, luminaries in the building as well, like in, in the audience. So Clark Peters uh, was in the audience. Uh, Mr. I, I, Friedman! <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, it was really, really cool. Shopper de Vizu was in yeah. the audience. Uh, I spoke to him a few months ago now for an empire feature it was good to actually link up with him and meet him in person uh he was there with his uh beautiful uh partner dominic uh and so we got to chat him afterwards which was really really cool and the chat itself was really really fun uh i stumped john majors on stage actually with a question <laughs> which is very very fun he was like good question i was like thank you and everyone started laughing um but yeah no nah, it was a really really fun night i hope to be doing more of that sort of stuff uh in the future so yeah Clarice. You went on a train. <laughs> I went on a train. Yeah, I went on a train. Uh, the the Belmond uh, Pullman uh, train, which goes around Surrey. And on the they've got, no, <laughs> very different. Uh, and they've got a carriage designed by Wes Anderson. So you kind of, you go on and they just f- feed you and drink drink you they give you alcohol (laughs) (laughs) and it looks so beautiful inside it's really you know I think a lot of my daydreams have the the quality of a Wes Anderson movie so it was nice to just sort of like have a main character moment and (laughs) be be inside one of Wes's movies um I also just want to say the trailer for the book of Boba Fett it's looking excellent and <laughs> yes, I'm very yeah. excited <laughs> and I really hope that that guy was Doc Ondar because Doc Ondar is the best <laughs> and I will lose my shit if he's in this show <laughs> uh he's like the collector of antiquities uh at, in Batu and in, in Galaxy's Edge he's a cool guy 
I like the fact that you mentioned collector of antiquities. It makes me feel like we're going to get a Dr. Afra soon. As you know, she is basically, possibly, yeah. I, you know, she's like the bad Indiana Jones, <laughs> but like cool, <laughs> also queer. Also, we love her. Please, Dr. Afra, please come through. I think they're heading in that direction. They're definitely like very interested in the underworld. Look, I've already fan cast Maya Erskine if it doesn't happen. Yes. <laughs> but I also fan cast Mahershala Ali as Blade in 2018 and it happened. So I feel like Disney is looking at my tweets. So I have tweeted that several times. On behalf of Please all MCU fans, thank you, Hannah Flint, uh, for getting <laughs> Mahershala Ali as Blade in the MCU. Uh, <laughs> now, with uh, uh, the, book, the book of Boba Fett, I'm just really, I, I love Ming Na Wen so much. Uh, and I love that she is just sort of carved out this really awesome geek career for herself. And she started everything. She's been in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, she was Mulan, obviously, and now she's in this and doing great good yeah. things. I also think, you know, I talk a lot about representation and stuff, and I think Star Wars, as with June, which we all know Star Wars, was rip off, it's a rip-off of June, with the lack of meaner characters. But I also think there is a massive Asian influence in Star Wars. And so mm. to actually have, like, Ming-Na Wen have like Donnie Yen and like actual Asian character Kelly Marie Tran in that universe it's really important because yeah it just yeah. seems like finally they're kind of catching up to the fact that yeah. if you're going to take cultures to create this space world you should at least represent them and the idea whether it's in a galaxy far away or something the idea that your vision of that future is purely white it <laughs> just says a lot <laughs> about you as a creator uh, and best. your vision of the future in a way that space is, it's just, yeah, very yeah. one note. So I still want my Kelly Marie Tran, Ryan Johnson, Star Wars miniseries after the travesty of a way that character was treated in Rise of Skywalker. I honestly um, just, I get more angry thinking about Rise of Skywalker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you remember, when we went to D23, Clarice, we got like a Rise <laughs> of Skywalker poster, didn't we? And I feel like ripping it up, <laughs> even though it's a very beautiful poster. Yeah. I still have it. I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know where it is. I want to keep it. <laughs> yes. Maybe I'll sell it. <laughs> don't rip it out, Hannah. Just sell it to someone who cares about that movie. Yeah. Trade um, it in for a book of, for a Mandalorian one. <laughs> I'll do a swap, please. Um, well, I've had a good week. Well, I suppose I've had a very tiring week. I had a big Halloween weekend, guys. It was <laughs> went to Margate. Went Saw to your Mar- Catwoman costume. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I love it. I've got these disco pants that I'm like, it was like either Sandy or Catwoman. And I went with uh, Catwoman. But what I found out recently was like two days after my mate, we went to this place called the Lido Bar. And it's very this dingy kind of just by the sea. And we went in there, had tickets to it. And it wasn't amazing, but it was kind of like a really weird, anyway, quite an old fashioned bar. It kind of looked like a very like town bar do you know what I mean like when you when it has not had a lick of paint turns out it has not had a restructuring in a while because the ceiling fell in two days later I was like wow I was like I am Catwoman I do have nine lives (laughs) so yeah so guys I could have I could might not have been here but that and then the other thing I'm doing my NTV stuff so if you guys uh, my listeners if you are interested in hearing more about Eternals which we're about to we'll get into later like hosting like this show it's on youtube there's interviews there's and me it's on a so sofa good. <laughs> it is really good thanks guys we're yeah. very proud yeah oh god i love it i'm like this is finally my my dream of becoming an mtv vj <laughs> like oh when i was god. young i was like god i'd love to be on mtv and like now it's happening <sighs> took me took me 10 years but there we go we made it guys we made it there so 
So yeah, but let let us crack on with the show. So uh, now we must go to Sandringham, where we meet our Kristen Stewart, and she's not doing very well. That's me doing breathy, Kristen Stewart. <laughs> she's such a mouthful. This is a trailer for Spencer. Your Royal Highness. Mummy. Family are all gathered in the drawing room. They are waiting. serious about you. So stand very still and smile a lot. They know everything. They don't. Daddy Diana. Oh. Daddy Diana. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of uh, Moonwalker. Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, which I used to watch so much growing up. Amon, um, let me tell you, so did I. <laughs> so yes. did I. Whenever I went to my Uncle Stuart's house, he had it on VHS and I would watch it. And there's that bit with the spider that used to really yeah. scare me. I still think about it. <laughs> We're going off on a tangent here, but the Michael Jackson thing that used to really scare me, like I had nightmares over the Thriller video uh, yeah. back in the day. Oh, it was scary. Uh, it was scary when he's just. I mean, the, the dance is obviously very cool. That follows, but when he's shit, it, it, yeah. Yeah, it fit me out as a young kid. But anyway, uh, we're talking about uh, Spencer. John uh, Landis, which... John Landis music video is nothing like Diane. <laughs> 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 uh, we're talking about Spencer, which takes place uh, in December of 1991, uh, and it's about the marriage of Princess Diana and Prince Charles, which has long since grown cold. Though rumours of affairs and a divorce abound, peace is ordained for the Christmas festivities at the Queen's Sandringham estate. There's eating, there's drinking, there's shooting, there's hunting, and Diana knows the game, but this year things will be profoundly different because Spencer is an imagining of what might have happened during those few fateful days. This is directed by Pablo Lorraine, who of course directed Jackie a few years ago, and it stars Christian Stewart, Timothy Spall, Jack Farthing, Sean Harris, and Sally Hawkins. So with this film, which premiered, I believe, was it Venice Film Festival this premiered at? Yeah. Well, wherever it premiered mm-hmm. at, like, it got like a big standing ovation afterwards. And I feel like much of that was because of Christian Stewart's performance. So let's start there. Uh, Clarice, what did you make of Christian Stewart's performance in this film? Yes, I just want, I just... <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was great. I thought I thought she smashed it. I mean, I'm a huge Kristen Stewart fan, so I wasn't really going into this with much trepidation. Um, I mean, sure, like the accent is a little like the Kira Knightley school <laughs> of being a posh <laughs> British person, um, but you know, emotionally, I think she she does such a beautiful job with it because. Um, this this is what I find fascinating about Kristen Stewart is the sort of like um, she isn't really an impressionist, and this is true of the the John Seaberg movie that she did as well. You know, she doesn't really do the like tra- Meryl Streep transformation, but I I actually find I find that far more interesting uh, for a performer because what she does is she finds the center point between her and the real Diana, and I think that helps with this film, which is meant to be kind of a fable, a fantasy, uh, and so. 
it, it just helps you feel more connected to the character because you don't have to worry about like the mannerisms is she getting the mannerisms right you know does she look perfectly like Deanna no she doesn't she looks like Chris Stewart um but you you really get to to feel the moment with her and I mean we can get into it like you know Spence is kind of a horror story and I think she also plays the horror heroine very well <laughs> and the the bewildering nature of all of it uh it reminds me of I mean one of my favorite Kristen Stewart movies is Personal Shopper uh mm. and how she did that performance like she's very good with this sort of like semi-horror style of performance like very believable and like kind of helps to I guess helps you to draw it in without you know there being literal ghosts like knocking on the doors being like boo but I guess this kind of does have one because Anne Boleyn's in it but mm -hmm. you know yeah. what I mean <laughs> I absolutely loathed it oh, no. <laughs> I did not get on with this movie at all I feel like I'm a traitor to not only my millennial generation but also to film Twitter because I seem to be in this is I know this is very much an unpopular opinion and the thing is, I'm very, I like Kristen Stewart as a person. I like what she's doing with her work and her role. I really respect her. I don't think she's the greatest actress out there. And, I'm, and I find it, I just find it quite surprising that she gets all this massive recognition when I find her, like I said, I kind of mentioned like the mouth breathing, everything. She's constantly panting all the time. It's like, oh, like even when she's just like normal things, everything. And I find it just really frustrating to listen to. Um, I suppose with this one, I just, yeah, the accent didn't work for me. The kind of, the the kind of, like you said, and because she's trying to put on this thing and I did not, you know, I didn't get lost in the emotional thing. And maybe it's because of the direction of it and the way her perform performance is so, and I get it, it's a fable, right? And I get this isn't Diana. I get this is like everyone says that I also think all that, but I also just found it like just 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 annoying to watch this woman presented as this absolutely unhinged, just ridiculous person. And everyone around her is like, you need to chill out. I, and I, I find I found that frustrating because I feel like I feel like it kind of confer it kind of puts something out there. And given how often this <laughs> this woman has been played on screen. And how many interpretations of it is, um, I find it just a little bit, it leans too much into the actual unhinged, unstable um, human being that basically a lot of her critics has presented her as. Um, so as much as people, I don't know, kind of say, yeah, no, it's just not real. I still think like, can we just leave her alone? <laughs> like I felt like it was annoying to me that I felt sympathy for the royal family that annoyed me and I think oh. I felt as like this woman is too much um and I felt it was just so over the top if it, it felt like sometimes it lent into like a Kate McKinnon SNL parody like I could see this I would not I mean it felt like that's how the performance felt like to me um so yeah I'm just just not team Spencer at all that's that's really interesting that you said because I was the absolute opposite for me it's like she's she's just she's not the one who's like uh, abnormal in that situation because she's she's like us she's us trying to survive in the royal family and it's the royal family that is like totally batshit 
insane, you know, because it's the entire like construction of monarchy is just like what? But I think it's also <laughs> because I'm. I think it's tragic the circumstances in which she died. What she died and the experience that she had is bad. But I also find that we've kind of made her into this martyr, like martyr type figure, as if she didn't go into this marriage. The more we learn marriage with our eyes open, like she knew that she was not getting the fairy tale. She was very, she was aware of the affair beforehand. She's also upper class society. Like I'm just so anti-royal family. So I feel like, you know, as much as, yeah, I don't think the royal family are perfect, but I, I also just struggle to have empathy for someone who is ridiculously privileged. You know, she didn't have to marry them in the first place. She was aware of what was going on. And, you know, as much as you can say that society, that's just the way it is. I do feel like uh, this kind of, I don't know, I, I, I'm a bit, I just think it's very easy to do this like poor little rich girl, like fairy tale princess, poor heroine, that she's getting so treated badly. Like, you know, <laughs> the way she just doesn't even turn, like she's always late to everything, all this type of stuff. And I feel like that's really annoying. <laughs> like, like just turn up on time. Like, it just felt like, can you just, that's the game, baby. <laughs> like you signed up for this shit. Like you're also getting immense privilege to go with it. And I just, it, it, so maybe it's just, maybe it's just my sensibility and my just absolute <laughs> animosity towards the kind of anyone who would choose to enter the Royal family. I just don't think it's like a hundred years ago, you know, the idea of comparing it to Anne Boleyn, like that was a bit like too much as well. <laughs> like, I don't know. Clearly not turning up on time as one of Hannah's red flags in the relationship. But like, uh, no, so. I mean, no, but I, I just think like there were certain things that she kind of did. And I just thought like, oh God, why am I feeling sorry for Prince Charles right now? <laughs> but like, no, you've heard Amon. Yeah. I feel like you're team Spencer though. More or less. Like, there are some things that you said that I do agree with Hannah, but I'm more or less on, on Team Clarice with this. I think Christian Stewart is really, really great. There's a, there's a lot of turmoil in Princess Diana's life, and she sort of hints at it constantly all the way through without sort of fully making it explicit, and I really, really like that. It felt very human, and that's what I want from a biopic, and this isn't a biopic, but a biopic, a, a biopic-esque movie like this because Princess Diana is an icon and I feel like she gets to do that because this film does what I uh, like films of this ilk doing in that it takes place over a limited amount of time and you focus on one sort of aspect and one time period of the performance that informs the whole we've spoken about bi biopics before that have you know, been almost like a cradle to the grave type situation and have suffered because of that this doesn't go that way and I think it's better for that. I do think that some of the screenwriting by Stephen Knight is very heavy handed. And I did feel that coming through uh, a little bit, but let's talk about sort of the structure of this film and, and that sort of three day period. Did that work for you? I, yeah, I will say, so I, Jackie is like the peak of cinema for me. <laughs> I'm so, that movie is perfection. I enjoy Jackie. I like Jackie. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I'm we'll, not a Pablo we'll Lorraine uh, denier. <laughs> <laughs> but I think... So, so, so we need a rewind for Jackie and we need a rewind for Popstar Never Stop, Never yeah. Stop. So let's just continue. Let's just not do any new releases. Let's just do the movies that we like. Let's just talk about movies that we like. <laughs> um, but 
yeah and I, I think it's interesting where spencer i think doesn't quite hold up to what jackie was doing because i think jackie like really understood america <laughs> and like the the american mythos and american sensibility i think spencer doesn't quite so much understand it and i i do agree that like the script Stephen knight script is a is a little bit odd in places i don't think that anne boleyn comparison works mm. because that was about you know there's a lot of like give me a sudden uh narrative going on in that situation yeah. and she gave birth to two sons so it's like i don't really know <laughs> why why you think these people were the same um but yeah and i think there's just like a couple of times throughout the movie where there are these like very like on the nose metaphors that yeah. actually also don't quite they don't quite say the right thing about um the the british sensibility in in the way like it just in the way that looking at jackie and you see you know the idea of the camelot um that repeating uh that repeating phrase is so like oh fuck yeah you you, you get it you, pablo you got it that's america <laughs> well here it's just not it's not quite the same that's the only negative thing i have about it yeah um yeah i just i think it's really hard if i'm not on board with the actual performance of the main character it's really hard to kind of sit and, and those kind of the Anne Boleyn things were eye rolling to me. Um, I will. Can I just say what I did like about it? Because again, Please. it's not a total write off, <laughs> but it's, I mean, I do think it looks amazing. I love yeah. how much it looked like it was the nineties. I love the grain. Um, I love the costumes. Beautiful gowns. Oh, <laughs> can I make a very quick comment about the costumes? Go on then. So, there's a lot of Chanel in this movie because they did an official collaboration with the Chanel archives. And so that really would distracted watched, me. Would she have worn any of it? I mean, this is what I like the clothes, but no. they didn't seem, she wouldn't be wearing that much. And this is what I mean. It's like, and I suppose this is what goes, goes to my point about, I know this is a fable, but it's also a real person. And, you know, there have been, you know, I, I, I just find it, quite difficult sometimes and how literal people take cinema as well um that it feels like you're again you're committing this sort of version of the truth <laughs> to to the big to, to reality yeah. and it's like I don't know I just feel sometimes it's like if you're gonna do it at least have some accuracy <laughs> have some accuracy yeah. there well, do you know what I mean where you where you can have accuracy make it accurate yeah, but it just seems like Diana. you weren't even interested in that. You just wanted to make this very fashion. Like, you could see this being edited into, a, like, a Chanel perfume. Yeah, well, because Diana did not wear Chanel, but she was not, like, a Chanel woman who wore Chanel all the time. Kristen Stewart is the Chanel woman. She is, like, the spokesperson for the brand. She was the only guest at their haute couture show last year. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's just very, very interesting choice. Um because it's very distracting the amount of cross seas that pop up and the amount of jackets where you're like that's chanel that's chanel that's chanel <laughs> this is what's interesting to me people talk about what's so funny is like if you watch a movie and you see like people talk about like ip stuff or like see these little reference this is a big ad for chanel 
it and is. it's like and yeah. so it's actually like so people love this but they'll get annoyed when they'll see like i don't know a corona ball like you know fast and furious <laughs> i like, have a corona ball people are like oh god or they talk about the ip product placement or something like that from another franchise another one they'll get annoyed about that it's like but no one gets annoyed that a french fashion house is basically getting free publicity in a film by a spokesperson that's supposed to be based on someone's real life but actually that wasn't entirely accurate it's yeah. interesting what people have issues take issues with but I think it goes back to that idea that like this performance is the middle ground between Diana and Kristen Stewart. And I think there are parts of her in this. Um, and yeah, like I, I just, I find the costume, the, the use of the Chanel just more kind of like interesting in what it says about the biopic genre mm. where it, it is always a little bit of, if it's a celebrity, there's always a little bit of the celebrity in the character. And that was true of, of Natalie Portman and Jackie as well. Absolutely. Uh, and that's, and I feel like the costumes are such a, it's like a very like material example of that, I guess. Interesting. Um, <laughs> Clarice has talked about the costumes. It is my turn <laughs> to talk about the score. Yes, oh, I like the score. <laughs> because Johnny Greenwood yeah. is fast becoming one of my favorite. He's great, isn't he? He's the score is just brilliant. Like it's probably my favorite thing about the film outside of Christmas Stewart's performance. Yeah. This it's got this well, no, not Christmas Stewart's spoilers, but yes, it's one of my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's like it's a mix of this jazz and orchestra, and when he sort of melds those two things, it's a it's it's beautiful. I'll also say I really liked Sean Harris's performance and I want to eat a meal cooked by his chef because he's so meticulous <laughs> yeah. in this film. And I found that to be very funny all the way through. Yeah. So, yeah. Sean Harris, I love him. Sean Harris' yeah. supremacy. He's just such a good little supporting <laughs> actor. Like, I mean, he was yeah. great in Green Knight. So nice because I always mm. often find that he plays kind of like he villains, villains and so like to yeah. see him that. Anyway. Yeah. Cool. The time has come uh, for our screen, stream, or skip recommendations for Spencer. Clarice, what say you? I would, uh, I would say screen. Yes. <laughs> Hannah? Uh, a scalp, scalp plus one, thanks. <laughs> and I am going to say screen. If you are a Christian Stewart fan, then you may want to screen. I love that we veered into David. <laughs> I'm just going to go back to my lawyer. You, you, you do not want to hear me do that work. for much longer there than 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think if you're a Christian Stewart fan, uh, you probably want to screen this. Uh, but for me, I would say stream. This is still a performance that worth watching, and you're going to be hearing and seeing a lot more of it as we get closer to award season. From the wild and unpredictable Princess Diana to the meticulousness of Oscar Isaac in The Card Counter. There is a weight a man can accrue. This is where all the good stuff happens. The weight created by his past actions. It is a weight which can never be removed. All in. You count cards, right? I'm not that smart. But you win. You need someone to stake you. That's what you do. You run a stable. I'm always looking for a good thoroughbred. Mm -hmm. Carry my, carry my, carry my. 
poker face. Because I look like Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. Sometimes when he does that thing with his face where it looks like he has no soul, and I get really scared and I go, oh no, Oscar Isaac, where did you go? Where's the Oscar Isaac that we know and love? He's gone. Uh, this is a card counter, which is Paul Schrader's new movie. Uh, the the plot is that Oscar Isaac plays uh, a man called William Tell, not his real name, as you might have guessed. He was a gambler and former serviceman who sets out to reform a young man seeking revenge on a mutual enemy from their past. Tell just wants to play cards. His spot in <laughs> existence of the casino trail is shattered when he's approached by Kirk. Kirk with a C, and I don't, they don't, they don't know why. I know, it's weird, right? <laughs> no. Shader just said, fuck you, it's Kirk with a C. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a vulnerable and angry young man seeking help to execute his plan for revenge on a military colonel. Tal sees a chance of redemption through his relationship with Kirk. So this is written and directed by the Paul Schrader. It stars Oscar Isaac, Tiffany Haddish, Ty Sheridan, and Willem Dafoe. So, where do we even start with this? <laughs> I So, maybe we should start with, because his last film, First Reformed, um, I know was, like, people really, really dug. So, did you guys both like First Reformed? I loved it. It was, like, my, I think okay. it was my favourite film of that year. Yeah, I I thought it's because I think it's one of the I just think it's one of the first, I suppose, environmental films that I really connected with on a level that made me just actually kind of change my views about a lot of things. Maybe kind of really click something in my head about just like the way I suppose I love the way that it kind of showed the connection between religion and saving the earth and just also like I suppose the conflict at, at there and and just the, I suppose corruption in America and all that type of stuff and I just thought oh god I really understand this through his prism I really get it through this prism and and Ethan Hawke who I love I just think that performance like I just really felt it and I felt the depth of like the kind of st- turmoil that he is in as he kind of suddenly progresses through the movie and I just thought, wow, this is, <laughs> yeah, I just loved, I just thought it was really, um, I don't know, like in a way gentle um, and, but also like extremely, I suppose, violent as well. But it just felt like, yeah, it just felt like something like I hadn't really seen before. Um, so I was really moved by that film. Interesting. Okay. So how did this compare with the card counter? Because I would say, I I'll say, <laughs> yeah, I'll say straight up, I didn't super love, I liked First Reformed and I liked this, but I didn't. I have did not love either. And I there are some Schrader things that I absolutely adore, but I don't know what it is at the moment. So that's why I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, what did you what did you think of the card counter in comparison? Yeah, um, I I liked First Reformed more than this. Um, I, I'm more with you on sort of uh, First Reformed and card counter and the Paul Schrader of the all Clarice. I, I'm in the like not love column. Um, uh, but I think what both films share is a really good central performance. And I think Oscar Isaac is really, really good in this. There's a scene, um, and you'll know it when you see it, but there's a scene he has with Ty Sheridan in this film, which is by far the best scene in the entire movie. And what Oscar Isaac is doing, the way he can turn menacing very, very quickly, it's very compelling and very commanding. And I was very taken with that. Um, 
I was surprised by Tiffany Haddish's casting in this movie. And, but to her credit, she doesn't stand out as much as I thought that she might, because like she's, you know, we know her more for her comedic stuff. There's not much comedy in this movie. Um, and I wish that the character had more to do, um, but she does a solid job with what she's given. Um, I just found it quite slow and and hard film to lock into. And I found that I, I found elements of that with First of All, but not as much as I did with this movie. I think that was probably the biggest thing, the biggest obstacle I had in terms of whether this is going to go from like to love. Mm. Yeah, I so Oscar Isaac, I mean, I, I said it as a joke in the introduction, but like <laughs> he does this thing where it's like his eyes just go empty mm. and it's like he just flushed his soul, soul down the toilet and there's like, there's no mm. Oscar Isaac inside there. And mm. I find it, you know, in comparison to how charming and lovely uh, he can be on screen and also just like in real life, I find it terrifying. Like it... Mm. it's like one of the scariest things i've seen in a film this year is just oscar isaac looking like that um Mm. so i thought that was phenomenal and i also agree with tiffany haddish i think it's in the the writing i thought she was very like she has such warmth to her but like the character here and amanda seyfried's character in first reformed i didn't super love because they they feel so constrained to that like ah the one the pure woman (laughs) the precious woman you know the salvation salvation you know she's salvation she's it, and it's just i i think he's written better female characters in the past who have kind of had a bit of that but maybe a bit more as well uh hannah what did you think of of those two performances and also yeah. Ty Sheridan. I mean, look, I think well. Oscar Isaac <laughs> is doing a serious amount of heavy lifting in this film. I mean, it's pretty mm-hmm. much the only interesting scenes are the one he's obviously the ones he's in, but they're so few and far between. You know, you mentioned that scene, Amon. I think I know it's that's, I mean, that's the first thing I wrote in my review. I was like, that is a film where you're kind of on the knife edge of you don't know how this is going to go. And I think that's a really mm-hmm. powerful. So to say it's not good scenes, but just, just the other characters are so so basic underdeveloped got no space to move because it's so focused on this guy it's like I don't Mm. have time to actually you know give time for Tiffany Haddish I mean look I find there was zero chemistry there and there's supposed to be this like romantic through line that I found totally unbelievable to be honest um I didn't think it captured it at all and I just I just also didn't understand given the trajectory of this film I don't understand like Haddish's choice, especially when we, like the character's choice, um, especially when we know the history of her past. Do you know what I mean? Like it made, it seemed like you just don't get women um, or you just don't care (laughs) about giving this woman any sort of interior authority or that. And I think Ty Sheridan's character, yeah, I mean, boring, (laughs) like a, oh, poor, boring young white kid who's angry at the world. Like, Ty Sheridan didn't have really much to do and I think this dialogue didn't help with that I think it was very stilted at times um it felt sometimes a bit worthy in some of the some moments is like really worthy and very like flowery and then other times just like this is just just not interesting and I think that made it I don't mind a slow burn movie but it makes it tedious makes it even more tedious when the writing is not great the characters around them are not great and you're just basically you know waiting for something interesting to happen and I think because it's such an understated 
you know, film anyway. Like I like the fact it's not a glamorous, you know, this is about card kind of like this is a gambling or casinos. It's not the glamorous world of Ocean's Eleven. You know, it's very like, you know, people who go to these things are just normal people. It looks very dull and like gray. And I quite enjoyed that. You know, I like the fact it's really stripped away to just see how kind of mundane this life is. It's not sexy at all. Even though Oscar Isaac is never not sexy. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And and I suppose, I, I, I mean, I, on those four, I suppose, I mean, one thing I also felt, the mess, again, he does these characters a lot. It's like the man in the room, right? He's got, it's, it's, it's so interesting. People say like, again, not to defend MCU, because I do think there's a formula to it. But like when people say, oh, it's just the same movie. And I'm like, isn't Paul Schrader basically doing that? He's constantly obsessed with the same, it's the same trope he's used frequently um, throughout his career, like a man, a lonely man trying to get some sort of redemption or whatever, kind of looking at the American male psyche. And I just think you could, it works with something like First Reform where I felt like it was bringing something new to this kind of, you're telling a different story. But this, I was like, what is this telling? What story is this saying? Because if it's supposed to be really a comment on the war on terror and the American war machine, I find it quite distasteful that you would use this kind of backstory of someone who was at an Abu Ghraib prison where you're seeing the victimization and the dehumanization of Arab men, you know, Arab bodies. And he's very, considering the juxtaposition between the scenes where they're set at this prison compared to what's, you know, the kind of, I don't know, the grim reality. Just felt like this is horrifying. You're showing us in gory detail, but you don't actually care about the victims there. You care, this is supposed to be more about the perceived victims of American war machine scapegoating. And I felt like that is not, um, yeah, I don't think that was a strong enough angle. And I just didn't think, you know, the culmination of this whole thing on a gambling level, <laughs> on a gam like card counting level or card level as that sort of kind of narrative. But then also this war on terror narrative, I just thought it was just empty. And I just felt like hollow at the end of it, to be honest. Yeah, I think I thought a really long time about this of like, why did I not, why did I not like First Reformed did this, all that? I, like, why did I not love these movies? And the best way I can vocalize it is like, as our world is becoming more apocalyptic, like I think Schrader's like that Schrader character is as he's trying to adjust to this world, it's becoming more narrow focused and like a little bit more like, um, yeah, a little like too much in that character's head. And and you're so right. I found it really bothersome that we never saw the faces or knew the names of the people that he victimized. And it's like, well, then that makes it a little bit too easy for us as an audience to want redemption for him. It's like, well, I don't know if I want him to have redemption because I don't know what he did. You didn't really tell us. <laughs> it's all kept very vague. And it's like that to me felt like a bit, little bit too much of a narrative cheat so that we could stay with this one guy. So I guess let's hit it with the screen stream or skip. Uh, it feels like we're all quite mixed on this. So I'm interested in mm -hmm. the answers. Amon, what would you say? I'm gonna say stream. While I'm mixed, I, I don't not like this movie enough to outright skip mm. it. Um, and I think if you are a Paul Schrader fan, uh, you'll still find enough to like if you stream it. Like I think screen is a step too far, but I'm gonna say stream. Hannah, I'm just being cutthroat today. Skip. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, Hannah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd say I'd say stream because. 
I still like Paul Schrader a lot. I just feel like we're not, his moment right now is not my moment. So <laughs> we'll see with the next one, maybe. Uh, but from card counting, which is technically legal, but but frowned upon to art heists, which are definitely illegal. I've checked. Can't do them. <laughs> you get arrested if you try to steal painting. Uh, this is Red Notice. I want you to help me catch the most wanted art thief in the world, the Bishop. Hello, boys. It's so nice to finally meet you in person. She set me up. Frame me. A few clever keystrokes and bye-bye, Jim John Hartley. She's gonna steal Cleopatra's eggs. They're priceless. If we catch her together, I can clear my name and I'll help you become the number one thief in the world again. So Gal Gadot and The Rock's love affair with Egypt continues. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean if you think about it right we've got Wonder Woman 1984 uh, Death on the Nile Cleopatra for Gal Gadot <laughs> and then we've got uh, Scorpion King then for Rock Scorpion King uh, oh sorry <laughs> yeah and then we've got Scorpion King we've got uh, well I suppose Black Adam is one of them he's redoing the um, he's doing a new Scorpion King he was also in The Mummy. Because, <laughs> wasn't he? he? was like, oh, my God. Anyway, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exciting for this non-great Egyptian, North African representation. Okay. <laughs> Let's have a look at the synopsis. When an Interpol issued red notice, the highest level warrant to hunt and capture the world's most wanted goes out. The FBI's top profiler, John Hartley, that's Dwayne Johnson, is on the case. His global pursuit finds him smack dab in the middle of a daring heist where he's forced to partner with the world's greatest art thief, Nolan Booth. That's Ryan Reynolds. In order to catch the world's most wanted art thief, the Bishop, that's Gal Gadot. The high-flying adventure that ensues takes a trio around the world, across the dance floor, trapped in a secluded prison, into the jungle, and worst of all for them, <laughs> constantly into each other's company. Directed by... <laughs> God, uh, I just sighed <laughs> from reading that. <laughs> I died from this film, type of reading that. Directed by Rawson Marshall Thurber, as mentioned, it's got all those people in it. So. Come on. How do we feel about, I suppose, again, we did Army of Thieves last week. So we had a nice, we had a heist mm. movie this week. How do you think this film uh, improves or diminishes the canon of heist movies? Netflix heist movies. <laughs> Netflix heist movies. <laughs> <laughs> they love it, money high. There's so many, isn't it? Come on. Anyway, mom. It's definitely dim- diminishing, unfortunately. Like, there was one scene, the party scene, where that is a film prob- probably at its best. There's a really fun heist caper element to it there's gadgetry there's planning you get to see those plans it feels appropriately tricky at times and it's fun um and you know there's you know at times a fun chemistry between the between the big three we mentioned here Gal Gadot uh, Dwayne Johnson and Ryan Reynolds but I felt the way do you remember uh, when we were discussing Jungle Cruise and we were talking about how that film just reminded me of better movies in that genre. 
this is the same way for Red Notice. And there's a point in Red Notice where Ryan Reynolds' character hums the Indiana Jones theme. And what I wouldn't give to press pause immediately on Red Notice and put that on instead. Because that is just one of the films. It's aping, shamelessly aping, and not in a good way. Uh, This was not a good film. Clarice, are you on the Red Notice train? Are you getting off? I feel like there was a train in this movie as well. There was a train. Um, I feel like this movie lost me, unfortunately, within the first minute. (laughs) I I know exactly what Chris is about to say, and I love it. Go ahead, Chris. I am unfortunately burdened with knowing things about ancient history. (laughs) And the MacGuffin for this movie are three eggs given to Cleopatra by her lover Mark Anthony and <laughs> they keep going on about Cle- but they keep going about Cleopatra's eggs and like they also don't explain what the eggs are for a long time so I was like do you mean the eggs inside of her body that's weird <laughs> like what are you talking about <laughs> that would be more interesting to me like imagine yeah. she had like the yeah, eggs yeah, and you could reincarnate eggs. Cleopatra Oh my God. Let me see what she really Continue the dynasty. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when you actually reveal it, it's a fucking Fabergé egg. Like, no. like Russian imperial family Fabergé egg. And also, this is what really pissed me off. You're claiming this is from the Potomac period. And when they show the museum display for it, it's just like behind some rope on a little pedestal. And you're telling me there's no temperature control. There's no shades on the windows. There's no nothing. There's no glass. You're telling me that's how you're displaying a Ptolemaic era gold egg. And it's like completely also, it's so shiny. It looks like it was made yesterday. Like already, like that's the quality of this movie is that (laughs) they showed me a brand new shiny egg, Fabergé egg, and told me Mark Antony gave it to somebody. Here's here's the thing that annoyed me about this movie. Well, here's one more thing that annoyed me <laughs> about this movie. Um, you know, Army of Thieves, for all its faults, what I loved what they did with the main character, uh, Matthias Schweighofer, is that they actually made him sort of like a safe-cracking nerd, and that was his thing. Like, he wasn't a badass because a scene demands it. He was a nerd. He was always going to be a nerd. And even when he's in that situation, he doesn't, you know, handle himself well because that's not what he does. Here, everyone's a badass because that's just what this film is. Like, Ryan Reynolds, he's meant to be this amazing art thief. Okay. And then there are times when he'll be amazing at martial arts in the scene and he'll handle like a group of people after him. No problem. Then later on, you try and sort of, you know, bash open the thing to get to a weapon and he won't be able to do it. It's just as the scene demands it, and it just goes like that all the way through. And I feel like, honestly, Ryan Reynolds especially, but also Dwayne Johnson, need an, interve- need an intervention. They need somebody to pull them aside and challenge them again. Because Dwayne Johnson is just a big, brawny badass in like 95% of the films that he's in. The best performances that he has are like Pain and Gain or Central Intelligence is when he's asked to do something different. And Ryan Reynolds, you also know that he can do something different. And when he's challenged like that, he's really good. There's a film like Buried, for instance. Really good. But the last five, six, seven films we have with Ryan Reynolds, it's all playing that Ryan, Ren- Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool archetype, quippy badass. And he's not even that interesting. He's so annoying now. It's like, 
yeah. do something. Would anyone? I'm, I will say give credit to Gal Gadot in this film because at least she's trying to do something a little bit different. Like she's she's you know it's this kind of like femme fatale kind of like bad girl. Like I mean, after being Wonder <laughs> Woman, the most earnest character in the fucking world. Like I mean, I appreciate that she at least tried to like have a bit of fun with it. But it's just this weird like. Let's spin the roulette and decide how we're gonna make this movie. It's like, right, okay, this is what we're gonna do. What's the MacGuffin? Okay, eggs, cool. Okay, where <laughs> who's gonna be in it? Like, how's it? It's like they're kind of making it up as it went along. And I just, I just, just thought this is just so lazy. This is just, this is, this is a lot of a spend. They've spent a lot of money on people phoning it in, in every aspect of this film, because. You know, not just like the acting, the direction, but the writing as well. Just so like this is, I just think like you don't respect the audience. You will just give them nothing, and you think that these 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 famous enough people can do this very repetitive shtick, and that's enough. That's all they deserve. And it's like I think cinema goers deserve far more than this film wants to give them. Um, yeah, it's also just embarrassing for Netflix in that they have built this as like the most expensive movie that Netflix has ever done. If that is the case, and you have some of the worst green screens I've seen in recent years in this movie, that is an embarrassment. Like that's like when they go to this, like there's a, there's a point in this film, I can't believe I'm about to say the sentence where um, they find themselves in like a sort of a Coliseum type place. And there's like a ball involved. It is so obviously so badly green screen oh, yeah. that it takes you out of the movie. And I'm just like, what is going on? This is your most expensive movie and the other stuff that looks that bad? Like even, like truthfully about this, like because they they put Dwayne Johnson in a jungle. <laughs> yeah, again. you're right. That's so funny. <laughs> which, is, which is insane. But even that looks like... Oh yeah, it looked like a set. Yeah. And I'm just like, if if... if if that is the case, and this is the most expensive movie that you've done, like you, you, you got taken for a ride, Netflix. I always think it's so funny though. Like, I feel like I'd love to learn a bit more about Interpol because I feel like Interpol is this like <laughs> this like authority that kind of just has jurisdiction everywhere, and I'd love to know how accurate that is because mm. it pops up all the time, mm. doesn't it? And then you can actually have yeah. anyone from any country. So it's like, oh, we can have a Brit. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. It's like anyone <laughs> anywhere. So I'd love to like learn a bit about Interpol. That's one thing I would say. Maybe one day like, is it real? <laughs> no, is this just a made up authority it's that's used real. for movies? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to actually just like interview someone from Interpol. And be like, what yo, do you is this realistic? Do? <laughs> All right, I think we've wasted enough time on this film. Should we vote? <laughs> I'm on screen. Oh, stream or skip? Screen? Not. No, okay, excuse screen. me. <laughs> <laughs> this is a big old skip for me. Yeah, Clarice? Yeah, skip and um, watch my favorite Ryan Reynolds performance, which is in The Voices. Great oh. movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, watch Pain and Gain. Or Pain and Gain. I'm just going to be like, just sit on your sofa and do nothing because that is more rewarding than watching this movie. So I'm going to say skip as well. God, three skips. Jesus, Hannah. I'm like, do I even like films anymore? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, 
from Red Notice to Earth's on Red Notice <laughs> by a by a, what, what are they called? A celestial. <laughs> I was about to say by a sentinel. I was like, that's the wrong franchise, baby. <laughs> uh, this is Eternals. <laughs> We're Eternals. We came here seven thousand years ago to protect humans from the deviants. Why didn't you guys help fight Thanos or any war or all the other terrible things throughout history? We were instructed not to interfere in any human conflicts unless deviants are involved. By who? Is this burning? An eternal's flame. flame. Say my name. Some <laughs> jump through the rain. Yes, we're here. We're finally here. This is Chloe Zhao's much talked about, much much derided on the way to get mm. here. Uh, entry mm. into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, this is the first time we're seeing these characters, the Eternals, who are a race of immortal beings with superhuman powers who have secretly lived on Earth for 7,000 years and are forced to reunite to battle the evil deviants. Um, there's a lot more to it than that. And we can probably get into that, I suppose, when we talk about, I suppose, the narrative, because I feel like this is a film that um, has a lot of work to do, but also kind of takes a new, different approach to kind of the questions of the superhero because they don't really think they're superheroes. But anyway, let me just give you a rundown of all the people in it. Gemma Chan, Richard Madden, Kumail Nanjiani, Liam McHugh, Brian Tyree Henry, Lauren Ridloff, Barry Keegan, hey. Don Lee, yeah. Harish <laughs> 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 Patel, Kit Harrington, Salma Hayek, and uh, Uber Babe, Ultimate Angelina Jolie. So getting back to a kind of, I suppose, is it a superhero movie or is it a comic book movie? Is it is it important to differentiate that when approaching um, this sort of movie, Clarice? Those things mean the same to me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I yes, I do. I do agree that Eternals feels quite different to a lot of the stuff that Marvel's done before, um, and i <laughs> i have noticed that you know it, it does seem to be that the entire franchise is moving towards something more cosmic because i guess we had loki and we had we're having more guardian stuff and thor seems like it's going to be quite freaky <laughs> of course it's going to be freaky it's tiger um we're in the cosmic era <laughs> yeah it feels like everything's pushing in that direction and i i like that direction because i think it gives a little bit more room for imagination which sounds stupid but you know you can in the cosmos you can do literally anything you want uh and that's what i did really like about eternals is that i feel like chloe zhao just like fucking went for it <laughs> so we're gonna have there's 50 eternals we've all got different powers <laughs> this guy shoots lasers out of his eyes don't yeah he's like superman we know but we're just gonna roll with it <laughs> and you know they we're gonna have them fighting in front of the ishtar gates and ancient Babylon. just just roll with it roll with it this is what we're doing and i i like the roll with it attitude of eternals i think that was the thing that i know a lot of other people had issues with i had less issues with because i'm never i'm never going to criticize a movie for doing something weird 
uh, I think, I mean, we can get to it. I think it's like in other spaces where Eternals shows its flaws. Mm. Amon, how did you, how do you think it, I suppose then that way, yeah, how, you know, we had several films to establish who the Avengers were. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And this is kind of you going like, here is, as you said, 50 people <laughs> get to know them. <laughs> How do you think, yeah. I suppose, that, that it was able to do that, I suppose, in making you care about these characters or give enough information and give, it's hard to give equal time to everyone. It is hard to give equal time to everyone. Uh, but I do think they did a solid enough job um, of giving enough screen time to everyone. And the actors, did really well to, you know, give us a good sense of those characters and their history together and individually, even though we don't uh, spend sort of as much screen time as we would like with a couple of them. Uh, So on that level, it worked. And yeah, like you were talking earlier about sort of the difference between a superhero movie and a comic book movie. I think this is more of a fantasy movie than anything that Marvel has ever done. Um, And I feel like between that and the Chloe Zhao-ness of it all, because I th- I feel her voice really shines through, and I love it personally. But I feel like that has wrong-footed a few people because MCU they have you know cultivated a certain house style, and I feel like this really differs from that in significant ways, uh, but in ways that I personally enjoy and like. Mm. I think, I mean, my biggest my takeaway from it is that it's like this epic poem. Uh, and maybe that's a bit, I mean, maybe, and I don't mean it in like that kind of, I suppose, um, like hyperbole. I mean it in that mm-hmm. just because of the characters and the kind of narrative that they're telling this existential kind of story. And I just found it like, you know, I like the fact that, I mean, they've been around for 7,000 years and you feel that weariness. I mm-hmm. quite like that. It's not, it's not as upbeat as the other Marvel films because these guys aren't upbeat people. Like they haven't been able to be. They've witnessed so much. They're tired. They want to go. <laughs> they want to go home. And they're stuck on this yeah. planet for certain reasons. And I and I, I think sorry. I think Kumal is the most upbeat of them. Yeah. And I like the levity that he brings. And 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 his uh relationship and back and forth with Harish Patel, he plays like his uh his videographer mm. and you know <laughs> all that sort of stuff I thought that really worked really well so like for me that's what I really I liked and I I mean I think definitely some characters got more time than others of course mm-hmm. um and interestingly enough my my thing maybe I think the weakest thing as much as I I think Richard Mad I feel my the performances for me let's go on to performance and who do we, okay. how do we think what <laughs> I for me the standouts I think Richard Madden, I loved his projection of a character. And I loved, like, there's so much crying in this. Like, it's so, never had as much crying in a Marvel movie, <laughs> I don't think. Even when Tony died, like, these guys are crying on something. <laughs> I think Gemma Chan, for me, I think she's she's a bit one note. Um, and, you know, I get she's quite this earnest kind of character, but I find her sometimes she's just a bit flat. So it was hard to kind of feel that romance, you know, pangs both with, Richard Madden and Kit Harrington. And I think actually it's a testament to Richard Madden um, I, as his characterization, his performance, that you really, by the end of it, you are just like, oh God, that, that I've really felt moved by that. I think Angelina Jolie's Cena, um, 
character development art that for me was so beautiful I loved it that was yep, I, loved it. I loved it so much and in a way it's like I kind of wish it was built of this film was built around her that character because I think that was a really interesting and dealing with like this again the weariness about time and what it does to your health and mental health and especially she's this warrior she's a badass warrior and she's you know that that has a that effect on you like all that violence and pain that's it's it's killing her kind of making her go mad mm. and then I think you know me and Clarice are our squad cast names are Drug Rights and Drug's Bitch and Barry Keegan <laughs> honestly a very surprising um I don't know like when did Marvel get sexy because he was doing <laughs> like so much there's a bit in it where he comes out guys and he's in that leather jacket and sunglasses like <laughs> I am aroused. <laughs> and he has this kind of little kind of a little romance thing which had far more heat than the main romances. You know what I mean? The romance romantic triangle. So but I-, I wish I was sat next to you guys watching this film. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I've said a lot. So so Clarice, I suppose for you, like, you know, again, like some of the characters were sometimes we didn't have enough of them. Um, but what how did you feel like the characters, I suppose, introduced in performances wise and what they really offered and did we need as many? <laughs> yeah, I really didn't have any issue with there being so many characters because I think, you know, if you look at Zhao's previous film, like she's often dealing with <laughs> lots of interlocking narratives. She knows how to write this shit. It's not hard for her. Um, so, and I, I think there is, it's that sort of like efficiency because, you know, we know we can only spend a little bit of time with each character. It's just like, right, let's get this character across in this one scene. And and so I think, you know, there's no real standout performance to me because I think everybody was great. I really liked uh, Lord Ridloff as well as Makari. Yeah. Yes. Uh, she was awesome. She's so cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and yeah, and I, I think as well, like all of my favorite bits of the movie were just the little scenes of them talking. And that's really where like the Zhao naturalism comes out. I don't know if there was any improv. I don't know how those scenes were constructed or directed, but they were very free flowing and it felt so like natural and normal. Like it didn't feel like it wasn't the Marvel, like uh, here's a quip, here's a quip, here's a quip. Eh, eh, eh. It was like, oh, these they're just hanging out. It's funny that like the movie about the the like guardian weird god cosmic guardian angel characters of marvel is the one where they feel the most human <laughs> yes yeah. thank you for saying like, that they but they really just all felt really relatable i was like i know who these people are like i'd hang out with them they're cool uh yeah I, and i think that's the chloe jowness of it all like again you were t- talking the, we're talking about celestials we're talking about godlike beings here but this is the most human movie in the mcu yeah, yeah. and i absolutely love that the the questions that they're pondering especially when it comes to Druig and his power set and what he can do and what he chooses to do and what he chooses not to do. All of that is very interesting and very compelling. And when they just allow these characters to breathe and interact, all of that good stuff comes out. So I really, yeah. really liked it in that regard. I think that, I think you mentioned earlier, though, Clarice, a few of the uncomfortable moments, <laughs> which didn't quite work. And I do think there's, I mean, just the optics, I suppose, um, there's a Hiroshima thing thing that was just like, oh, maybe you should have left that one alone. Um, and then I also felt like there's a bit with Jurek is what he's been doing. And it's like optic wise, it's like, hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We we yeah. I, I think we need to unpack that a mm-hmm. little bit, but it didn't have time to do that. 
I suppose, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I this is interesting that stuff to me because like, I feel like I'm often complaining about how movies depict the bombing of Hiroshima because Hollywood has <laughs> said some fucking fucked up shit about it. <laughs> and I will say in this movie, the sentiment, the sentiment is great. I really love what it's trying to say about um the the sort of relationship between technology and violence and mm. progress and violence um that's a fascinating place to explore and and so i think all the ideas in internals are fantastic but and this is really where eternals hits the wall for me is is i get yes like kevin feige is trying to push what comic book movies can do he's trying to like push it in a new direction uh test you know test the limits and it's like well the limit is here because you can't have all those ideas but also like in the next scene they have to make a joke about vibranium you know they have to punch have to have five minutes of punching the cgi thing it there is a like tonal imbalance in eternals which i think really I found it really frustrating in parts because I was like, oh, that last scene was so great, but what are we doing now? It's like, oh, we're just doing the old thing again now. And I I, I like the idea of trying to push the boundaries and trying to do new things, but like, you really have to change the system because what happened here is that they cast, they um, hired Chloe Zhao knowing all the things that she can do and they're like, Boop, okay, we're going to plop you into the same like structure and you can do what you wanted that within that it's got to have the same structure though and it's like no you need to break the structure to actually really mm. get to really go the places that i can see marvel wanting to go if that makes sense yeah it does it does make sense like i hear what you're saying i will always stick up for the vast majority of the final uh battle scenes in the MCU, because I think they're about a lot more than just the CGI and the bombast. There's character and emotion layered within those final action beats all the time. Um, and I feel like Eternals is one of the best examples of how to do that really, really well. Uh, there's a lot of character, like what, what, what Thena especially is doing in that final battle, I thought was excellent and a really good conclusion of her arc. Um, and yeah, I I like that. I would like to see more of them just subverted in bigger ways. Like I I still feel like, for reasons which are just perfect for the character and the world that we've been watching, the finale to Doctor Strange is one of the best final sort of acts in any MCU film because it's not about fighting; it's about this guy negotiating yeah. and doing it that way. And I feel a similar way about. Um, I know we had mixed thoughts on this, but Loki. Um, you know, a, a large bulk of that final episode is just yeah. three guys having a conversation, and it's compelling. It's satisfying. It, I was riveted, um, and I'd like to see more Marvel films just completely jettison the, uh, the need for a... exactly the, the need for a big battle. Although, again, in this case, in the tunnel's case, I do find I I found the battle to be very cool. I, I thought everyone got a lot to do, mm. and I really enjoyed that. There's one thing which I want to mention because. Every time Marvel and Disney say they're going to do gay representation and they whiff, I give it a kicking. But I do think in Eternals, we actually get good gay representation there. They do it well. They devote screen time to it and it's effective. Um, and I feel like that deserves a shout out to Yeah. And also I'm like, what, what, like, 
again, people are over and like, what do you want? What do you want more? Like, like it's a Marvel movie. This isn't, you know, call me by your name. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Wait, I people, think people are mad about that. No, people but no, but no, but I just think like people again, it's like, oh, like, they're kind of still this kind of derision <laughs> towards really? like, oh, legit, I don't know. I thought- I thought people would be really would, would really like that. Can I add another thing? So I realised there's another characterisation that I really no, liked, and it remind me of um, Leah McHugh's. She plays um, Sprite. The yes, g- and it really reminded me of um, Kirsten Dunst's character in yes. Interview with the Vampire, <laughs> and I love. <laughs> and I thought that was such an interesting take on it. And I just, yeah, I thought that that I was that had that vibe there. I just thought there was some really good character work in there. Um, yeah. They're more interesting. I don't know. They're more. If you think about it as well, like the main characters really in this are women as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you could have that. The fact I love the fact that Athena is this. She's the warrior. And I think her having this thing was, I thought, really beautiful. And like, you know, even Gemma, <laughs> again, I even though I think I'm, I find sometimes I find her a bit flat. I did like the fact that she's like. I can just change things. I'm not really this massively powerful individual. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I like the fact that it wasn't this obvious choice. This person is like, this This one's like, oh shit, like, I don't really know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it goes, points back to the human um, element of it. Yeah. I've read a headline the other day, like, why do Marvel keep hiring these A-list directors and don't let them do their thing? That has not been sort of an accurate criticism of Marvel for a good number of years now. Ryan Coogler in Black Panther, you hear his voice, you feel his voice. Taika Waititi in Thor Ragnarok, you see and hear his voice. I just find it odd that people would kind of say this is, don't like this, but then they gave like Venom, let there be carnage. And it's like, sorry. I, I just, don't, like, don't even get me. Sorry, I don't want to argue with that. Again. If you're giving that I gave that a higher rating, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I, but I just, like, you know what I mean? But I mean, look. You get that, but you still gave this, I suppose, three stars and you gave that one four stars. Yeah, college. and I will say, I think, like, my my take on the indie director thing is, is I do think, I do think you hear their voice. I think it's always just very clear to me, like, I can feel it in the movie the second that, like, the pre-vape oh, yeah. artists walk in, the the second unit comes in. Um, I think that, to me, is the bigger issue of of having to find the balance between like this being a massive blockbuster and wanting to have very like uh stylized artistic voices but making that mesh together because yeah. that's the thing that marvel keeps coming up against like thor ragnarok's a great example like i i can tell the bits that like taiko Waititi didn't didn't maybe didn't super direct or was in the background for because it changes the movie changes in like subtle and sometimes obvious ways and you see that in eternals there are moments where i'm like oh i feel like chloe was on like a break for this bit because it doesn't feel like she was behind the camera um and that again it goes back to the idea of the cis like the format the structure like that's part of the structure and i feel like they need to break that to really push through this problem mm. okay so yeah i mean we'll, we'll see if that happens soon i've got a million <laughs> films um okay so it's time to uh screen stream or skip amon screen 100 screen this sort of you no know, lowest rating any mc film has gotten is complete bs who cares about rotten tomatoes like we're so beholden Wheels. to that 
Just, I hate it. <laughs> Clarice. Yeah, I'd say screen it. Like, unless you're totally uninterested in comic book movies, like, it's it's great to watch, even if it's got problems. Yeah. I'm going to say screen, because this is, like, kind of designed for me to enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Chloe Zhao and Marvel and Angelina Jolie. Like, please, I can take my money. <laughs> um, okay, so there we go. I think that's the screen for Eternals. So it kind of leads into our hot taste. Oh, I've been burned by Richard oh. Madden's laser eyes. <laughs> laser eyes, beam eyes. So um, at the end of Eternals, and again, if you uh, spoiler, do not spoiler, want to be a spoiler. Spoiler, spoiler, as spoiler, 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 spoiler. running or on the train, stop, spoiler. Yeah, stop. <laughs> <laughs> also, this is also going to involve a red notice spoiler, but mm-hmm. I don't give a shit about that. Yeah, I don't think people will mind. Nobody care about that. So um, one of the post-credit scenes uh, in Eternals was the reveal that Harry Styles is playing Star Fox. Uh, a Marvel character, brother of Thanos, a kind of a intergalactic womanizer who, <laughs> in one uncomfortable storyline, is actually gets is on trial for sexual assault. Um, Jesus, so what the fuck? It, interesting that they're introducing a sexual predator to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I assume he's going to have his backstory retconned <laughs> before we. So what you're that. saying, what you're saying, Hannah, is. There's a star fox waiting in the sky. Oh, but I think Harry Styles sung that. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was called Eros. Yeah, but it's like they give him a name, Star Fox, when he joins the Avengers. So it's Eros, Star Fox, basically. Eros is like a... Freak. Yeah, but... I mean the name is in the name, isn't it? Yeah. Eros. That made sense <laughs> to me. I was like, I don't know who the like Star Fox is. I know who Eros is, and that I know what that character yeah. is. <laughs> so anyway, so so he's been cast in it, um, and then we have obviously in Red Notice. Don't watch this movie, but we'll tell you. Ed Sheeran is back again, playing himself in a really unnecessary, just just mind numbing scene at the end of the film. Um, so I suppose then we're kind of asking the question. Then we're having. I suppose it seems more prevalent nowadays that I suppose pop stars are now branching into cinema more frequently. Um, There are people, you know, who are like Harry, who obviously have not had any acting training, um, haven't, you know, like someone like Lady Gaga, who went to Tisch School of Arts to do, I think she was doing quite a lot of dramatic arts course as well. She wanted to be an actor before she was She wants to be an actor. So I suppose the question is really, at this point, I mean, how do we feel about what's our hot takes on pop stars who have made, and and I say this as that, who have made big careers as pop stars. So let's, Mm -hmm. they're established pop stars. They're known for their music and that's it. How do we feel that there's now, now an increasing frequency of them trying to make it in movies? I mean, not to mention Harry Styles, but Dua Lipa is going to be in Matthew Vaughan's latest film. I can't remember what it's called, but in her <laughs> acting debut. Do let me... again. Yeah. I think it's depend dependent on what the role requires and what the aim is. Because I say that, like, for instance, there's Cardi B in Fast 9. It's a very small role. And it feels like they were just like, you know, cashing in on Cardi B's status as this really cool, great pop star. 
And it doesn't, it's, it's just a fun little bit in the movie that feels at home in a fast appearance movie where all this crazy stuff is happening. But Ed Sheeran in Red Notice, it just takes you out of the movie and it's not great. Like I feel with, with Harry Styles um, and with Lady Gaga, it doesn't take you out the movie and they clearly sort of put in the work, like Harry Styles, this, is, this isn't his first rodeo, he was in um, Dunkirk. And I feel like, you know, Christopher Nolan, especially, he doesn't just cast anybody on a whim. You don't get in that movie and have a significant role in that movie if you're just, you know, nobody you can't Did do your job really well. Did he have a significant role in that movie? I mean, he's in it, he's in it, but I don't think it was that significant. There was a lot of people. That was a massive ensemble performance. Okay. That's a fair, that's <laughs> He's a fair. not the lead but, in that. It, I think it would be Finn Wyatt. Yeah, yeah, but the point still stands. You don't get in the Christopher Nolan movie by accident. Um, and I think with, with Eternals, it's less effective because it's very hard to really create anything of impact and of note in 40 seconds playing a character that even Marvel heads like me who have read the comics, playing a character that I haven't really heard of and I'm not, and I'm not as familiar with um, as other characters in that universe. Um, but Lady Gaga, you know, she was great in The Star is Born. Um, and I feel... I mean, she was really great, great in marriage. American Horror Story mm. as the Countess. Yeah, I mean, she's I've not, I've not seen that. Sensational. Yes. That's what she won the Golden Globe for, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah, but we don't care about the Golden Globes anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, but we but, did uh, get that great image of Leonardo DiCaprio, like going past the going, oh. <laughs> that, that is that is the best thing about the Golden Globes right now. That is its only legacy, like great gifts. Yeah, the memes. We love it for the memes. <laughs> beautiful memes. Beautiful memes. Um, so yeah. As long as it doesn't take me out of the movie, I'm okay with it. Um, and I just, you know, because I want to sort of see and I want to you know, have it proven to me that these guys have just put in the work and they deserve to be here and deserve to be on screen. But when like they, like it's an Ed Sheeran thing that just takes me out of the movie, whether it's a small bit or not, that's the sort of thing that frustrates me. And I don't want any more of that uh, in films. I don't know. It was a bit of an eye roll for me with Harry Styles coming out. Um... This is interesting to me. And then the thing is, it's like... You only has 40 seconds, Hannah. Yeah, and I'm it sure was just what, like... I'm sure, I'm sure uh, once we have more time with him, I just, You know what it is? And I, it's more that... Maybe I just think with one, one of the unique selling points, I suppose, of the MCU is its ability to get some of the best actors of our generation in it. Like, yeah. there's some amazing actors in it. And... Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, I mean, I'm sure they obviously went through a, a big thing, but I, did, I feel like there's something about Harry Styles where he's just, he's just, he's just so out there all the time. And like, I like the fact that as we talk about, you mean, you mentioned Kristen Stewart, like she doesn't lose herself in it. Like Harry Styles, when they came, Harry Styles came out as this character, I was like, that's just Harry Styles. And I don't know, seeing him do SNL, I didn't think it was that great, like him doing that more comedic thing. Like, I get what you're saying in Dunkirk. And don't get me wrong, no, no shade to Harry Styles. In I think what he did, the limited time he was in Dunkirk, I think he says, oh, yeah, nice one. I wouldn't mind seeing a bit more. But <laughs> I'm just very kind of, uh, I suppose, skeptical about like, okay, how big is this cameo? How big is this role? Is this like a Howard the Duck thing? <laughs> is this like the collect, you know what I mean? Like a kind of small thing, or is he going to be significant for it? I don't know. I feel like I, I like, uh, he hasn't, I haven't seen him act enough for me to think, God, do I want to watch a whole thing <laughs> on Harry Styles playing Harry Styles, space Harry Styles. 
But I mean, on that level, I, I sort of get what you're saying. It doesn't feel like it's going to be an insignificant role. Like, I feel he's going to have a substantial part to play in whatever movie he turns up in next. So I do think, for better or worse, we're going to be getting a whole boatload more of Harry Styles. Well, I think anytime you cast, like, someone... Yeah, he's very famous for doing another thing. It is stunt casting. But I think stunt casting mm. can be really good if it's done... If it's smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think Lady Gaga is a great example of that. You know, yep. when Ryan Murphy was casting AHS, he, he always looks to like camp icons, to LGBTQ icons, and Lady Gaga is one of them. <laughs> and she was perfect for that role. It became the center point of that season. Then going on to Stars Born, you know, she was in the footsteps of Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand. That made a lot of sense. Uh, House of Gucci. Uh, she's an Italian woman, and she loves to tell you <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> and so I, I think, but it was very clear from the get go, like her doing that. She's a great actress. Yeah, and I'm not. I don't think uh, someone mm. like Beyonce, who I don't think is a great actress. Um, and I mean, she. I mean, she did Dreamgirls fine, and she did the singing. But there's a reason why she has not been cast in more significant roles because she just cannot carry a film. Yeah. What was that masterpiece of a movie that she did with Idris Elba and Ali Lata? Temptation. No, 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 no. The Tyler Perry I'll one. Go, I'll, no, I'm going to look this up. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's the Ali Lata, it's, it's the Tyler Perry one. Well, Ali Lata yeah, is like a right. home wrecker. Yeah. yeah. Is, it, is it called Temptation? Pretty sure it's called Temptation. Mm-hmm. Um, or Seduction, something like that. But yeah, but I feel like her, like a part of that is in the casting as well. I think if you... Obsessed. Obsessed, sorry. sorry there we go. <laughs> <laughs> it was something in that remit. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, th- I think a big part of it's in the casting as well. I'm sure Beyonce would be... There's a role for Beyonce out there where you cast her and she's like perfect. And yeah. I think that for Harry Styles, like again, I I I know Eros, <laughs> and if I was casting Eros, I would maybe cast Harry Styles because you kind of want to play on his outside image, and he's got this like at the moment he's dressing fantastically. I just want to say that his clown outfit that he was wearing uh, on stage recently was oh the Dorothy incredible. outfit, the Dorothy outfit, amazing. Like I think if see that's the thing we we only saw like 40 seconds but my thinking is that they're going to try and bring in an element of that stage presence into the character and if they do that and mm. if they do that smartly i think it'll be fantastic if they've just cast him to because he's famous it's not going to be good hey i'm always like yeah. prove me wrong because mm-hmm. there is nothing worse and this is what i think my issue is it's like i'm i'm there is nothing that frustrates me more when consider considering how you know, there are plenty of great actors who are actual actors who have dedicated their time who don't get these opportunities. And the idea that someone's just getting to it for me, it's like this kind of weird, like you could just get to fast track, you get to kind of, you know, usurp the system. It's a different form of nepotism, basically. That's mm. what frustrates me because I want I want to see great actors perform and I want them to get it. And you know, the fact that, you know, Harry Styles is still you know, cis straight white male, it's not exactly Marvel pushing boundaries or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. hey, look, if they cast like Lil Nas X, I'd be far more interested. In, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it's you're still, you're basically, sure, it's Harry Styles, but you're not really pushing the boundaries here. And I think with, you know, I get your saying stage person, but a lot of the stuff about Harry Styles is very image. It's very aesthetic led. You know, we don't, you know, he's not in enough stuff for able to see that personality. I mean, sure, it's these shows, when he's playing music, but take the music away, take the songs away, you know, 
is he able to kind of do that with dialogue that is not him off the cuff or something? I just haven't seen that. So I, I want it to be good. But, you know, as we've seen with like Rihanna, terrible, terrible actress. Like, but she's got great stage presence. Like she's so seductive and all that. So, so yeah. So I, I suppose, I mean, I do like the what fact was the that, thing that Rihanna was in that you take, so, take, you take such umbrage with. What, Battleship? Um, Valerian? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. um, Oceans, what's it called? <laughs> <Ocean 8. laughs> like, always, and don't get me wrong, it's not just like, I mean, look, I could say this about Cara Delevingne as well. Like, she is terrible at actress. And I don't understand why she, I mean, I do, but it just annoys me that she gets any number of roles. It's so annoying. Excuse me, Hannah. Uh, she was in the masterpiece uh, known as 2016 Suicide Squad. Yeah, so, I rest I my case. <laughs> but, like, you know, again, and Ed Sheeran, I just need to stop. I need him to just stop it, please, for the love of God. Like, you couldn't even convincingly play yourself in yesterday. Like, <laughs> can, can you please, uh, you know? And that's the thing, you know, some roles, like, he's playing himself. Can't be that hard. It's like, yes, it can. Mm. It really can. Because maybe also you're not that interesting person. You're not that interesting person in the first place. Your music's interesting. You, I mean, I think Ed Sheeran is a very bland personality. <laughs> like he is, his music mm. is so good <laughs> compared to who he is. But yeah, I don't know. Um, we'll see. I like that Harry Styles has got a Yorkshire accent, so we're finally get some Yorkshire representation. Yeah. In the I'm kind of excited. <laughs> I like Harry Styles a lot. I think he is like I've seen him in interviews and stuff, and he seems very charismatic. So I think he is I a very nice person. It. Yeah, he's I've got met him time. twice on two occasions, and he's done two things that I've said it's like, oh, he's a decent person. So oh. again. It's not personal, it's just professional. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And, I mean, also we mentioned as well, Clarice, you mentioned before, like, um, Ariana Grande, you know, mm. coming in as yep. Linda. And I think that's a really good casting. That's a really yeah. great casting choice. Plus, she started off on the Disney Channel. So she's a Disney, she's an actress mm. as well. So She was great on Scream Queens. I thought she was very funny on that show. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, she's got. I'm. I'm still really cut up that she was not cast as Peaches in the in the Mario movie. Oh my god, she would have been speaking great. of uh, Italians. <laughs> no, like I love Amy Taylor Joy, but that Ariana Grande would have been a yeah. I get. And I suppose the less to... we speak about Chris Pratt, <laughs> the better. Oh boy! Right. Okay. Internet's favorite person. There are a number of other problems with the movie um, that uh, made it not great, unfortunately. But Andre Day uh, played Billie Holiday in the Lee Daniels film earlier this year. I thought she did a pretty good job with that performance. So it's hmm. another pop star then. Hmm. Again, Agree to disagree. It, wasn't, it, 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 <laughs> it had nothing to do with her in terms of what was wrong about that film. Yeah. But look, again, there has been plenty of, over the years, Barbra Streisand, David hmm. Bowie, like, it's not to say that they can't do it, but I think just it seems more prevalent now. I, I don't know, maybe because we're making, probably because we're making more movies, <laughs> all these mm-hmm. things. So it seems like, I don't know. I just think like this kind of, uh, in this social media world where people are getting cast by the amount of followers that they have, um, when sometimes talent seems to be lower down on the list of priorities for people actually getting, you know, putting movies or TV shows I suppose mm-hmm. the kind of, as you said, Clarice, the stunt casting feels sometimes like, oh, do I trust it? I think I'm a born skeptic. I'm not a purist. <laughs> like you can't. I don't think people should have to stay in their lanes. But I just kind of want to see the see that the proof is in the pudding. 
And I love me some MCU jelly. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. What movie is he actually going to be in? That's why I didn't understand I about know. that. Oh, secret. No, yeah. As we were still in the spoiler section, can we also talk about that <laughs> before we go? Can we talk about that final, final Eternals? We can, yes. but I didn't understand it. Okay, so <laughs> so. What you, so we hear a voice basically we, we established that Dane Whitman is now going to be Black Knight he's got the ebony blade blah 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 I thought <laughs> it was I okay. thought it was I don't know about you but I've had two someone's told me a new one and I think that could be also it I thought it was Jonathan Major's Kang because because I thought oh he kind of says something so it's Sean Duna and I feel like Kang's this person who can get everywhere I'm just someone just suggested this to me and that, now I'm thinking about it, I kind of want to listen back to it. Someone said, is it Mahershala Ali's Blade? I I think she's confirmed like, well, that who it is. is. Um, wait, someone told oh, me this. Who goes, confirmed it? Um, I think Chloe Ooh. Zhao said who it was, but let me double check. <gasps> oh my God, this is, so, this will get the big <laughs> reveal, guys. <Here's> the, <laughs> stay tuned for our reactions. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, the suspense. Can you feel it? If it's neither of them, I quit. Yeah, you're right. It <laughs> is. It's Mahersha Ali. Yeah, is Chloe Zhao, director Chloe Zhao confirmed that person's identity to fandom. Blade, set to be played by right. two-time Academy Award winner Mahershala Ali, who provided the voice in this scene. That was the voice of one of my favorite superheroes, Mr. Blade himself, she said. Blade, Blade, Blade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay, there we go. Cool. I know it's I, I don't know if this is a problematic thing to say, but the minute I heard it, I was like, that is a black man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there was a very tone. There's a because specific. It was so sexy. Yeah, no. Oh. But do you not think there's a specific, like, tenor, especially for, like, I think, there's a, a tone of voice that is very specific to. I mean, I don't want to be saying that <laughs> a monolith, but. It just like when you hear it, you're like, "Oh, that is definitely not a white person." <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, well, hundred percent. Yeah, but that's 100%. exciting. I heard it like it, a, it sounded like a there was an act like a like a Bronx or a Brooklyn like a New York accent, right? I think he might be doing some sort of New York accent yeah. for it. I heard. I don't know. Yeah. That's why I didn't know who it was. <laughs> hey, look. I mean, I could get into my hot takes about why Blade needs to be an 18 certificate movie, and I'm really scared that they're not going to do it. <laughs> but that's a time for another for another episode. I just I just have one thing to say. Now that we're talking about Blade, there are some 4K restoration cinema screenings going on right now. If you can make it down to one of them, do it. Do it. Uh, I'm going to see one in a couple of weeks at the Barbican. Uh, it'll be the first time seeing Blade on the big screen. I cannot oh, wait. That is exciting. Because that film rules. Well, on that note, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in once again. Um, happy viewing via whatever medium is the safest for you. Do subscribe, rate, and leave us a review if you love the podcast. It really does make a difference. And tweet us if you have something you'd love us to shout out next week. Use the hashtag Fade to Black Pod and follow us. I'm at Hannah Flint or at Hannah Ines Flint on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Clarice Lou on Twitter, or at Clarice Lockery on Instagram. And I'm at Amon Woman on Twitter and Instagram. Farewell, film friends. It's time to fade to Blade in cinemas at the moment. <laughs> <laughs>